genuine faith should not be blind faith. In these segments of Why I Believe, we're going to explore genuine evidence for genuine faith. Hi, and welcome to Why I Believe. My name is Christian, and I'm joined in the studio once again by my good friends Michael and Brad. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, Christian. How's it going? Thanks, Christian. Good to be here. Great. Now, we've got a very serious, somber topic, but before we jump Ooh. into it, uh, Michael, why don't you lead us in prayer as we uh, open the Bible? Great. Dear Father in heaven, we just want to thank you, Lord, for providing the Bible as a, as a roadmap in our lives. And Lord, as we open your word, you've invited us to ask your Holy Spirit to guide in our minds and our thinking, Lord. And we just pray for this now as we, as we open your word today. Amen. 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 Now, gentlemen, I'm going to ask you a question, and I, I haven't prepared you for this, but when you think <laughs> of Australian exports, as in celebrities, famous people, what are some of the names that come to mind? Oh, Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee, yep. Who else? I don't really care about celebrities that much. Oh, come on, just you <laughs> Probably a bad answer. Some of the most oh. famous Australians out there in terms of the entertainment world. Wait, did you just say Russell Crowe? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, well, there's yep. one then. Cool. Russell Crowe, Crocodile Dundee. Although, isn't he, is he a Kiwi though? Or? Well, when he says and does nice things, we oh. claim him as our own. Okay. Um, <laughs> when he's acting a bit inappropriate, we give him to the Kiwis. Fair enough. Now, how many of you have heard of Steve Irwin? Yes, yes. That's probably right up there. My kids still love watching the videos, even though he's long gone. Mm. Absolutely. Now, how does Steve Irwin tie into a Bible study? Well, when Steve Irwin sadly passed away, um, a little while afterwards, Terry Irwin, his wife, was interviewed about Steve, and she mentioned that she still talks to Steve. Mm. And that oh. still gives her guidance. And that brings us to today's topic. What exactly happens when we die? Is Steve Irwin floating around somewhere there giving advice to his family and to others? Are there such things as ghosts? Do we go to heaven or hell? What really happens to us? And I think it's a really relevant question because what do they say? There's nothing as certain as? Taxes and Death, death. or death and taxes, yep. rather. You've got to taxes. get the order right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, in our country, taxes come first. Yeah. <laughs> taxes, taxes, taxes and death. Yep. Mm. That's right. So it happens to all of us. Now, you know, going in your sleep at a ripe old age and having a good innings is something that, you know, we're all, we're not excited about, but it's part of life. But death sometimes happens unexpectedly, sometimes painfully, and all of us have encountered that. So it's highly important to know and understand what happens when we die. And also, what does this tell us about what God is like? We're going to jump straight into this by starting with the Bible right from the very beginning. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 16 and 17. I'm going to ask you, Brad, to start reading for us there. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, what happens when we die? Do we live on forever? Do we become ghosts? Do we go to heaven? Does our soul float away? Does nothing happen? What is it? Let's start there with that verse. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Thank you, Brad. But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are surely going to die. Okay, what does God say about disobedience, what we would call sin, transgression? What happens when you do that? Death. Death. From the very beginning, God is absolutely clear. There's no ifs or buts. Now, God could have said to them a lot of different things, right? When you do the wrong thing, eventually you'll expire, float away, something will happen to you where you go up or down or around, whatever. He actually says death. 
and through the Old Testament, we see death as something very final. Michael? Just rewinding a bit, like, um, this to us, we just, we live in the world where death is part of life. But I guess, got to rewind a bit, God had made, it, made the world absolutely perfect. And the really important thing is, death was not a part of the world at all um, at this moment in time. So, like, if you were, you know, Adam and Eve living in a world you'd never ever seen, experienced death, anything like that, and then God is telling them this is going to happen if they disobey. It's, it's like, just it's just really interesting that context. Where it's hard to even get your head around, isn't it? Like living without death, I find it hard to get my head around. It's an awesome concept, but Absolutely. yeah, we're just so surrounded by it. That's a really good point. We're just used to it. It's part of life. Yeah, yeah. So God says you will die. Genesis chapter three verse four. Would you like to jump there and read that, please, Michael? Genesis three verse four, and this is the woman and the serpent dialoguing and the serpent says in verse 4 you will not certainly die the serpent said to the woman you will not certainly die so here is eve in a perfect world she's promised to live forever by god unless she eats from this tree she encounters a serpent god said you will die if you eat from the tree and the devil tells her not the exact opposite mm. and really the question of death is one as to who we choose to believe do we choose to believe what god says right from the beginning and again and again in the Bible, or do we choose to accept what Lucifer uh, has promulgated first in Eden and then throughout all sorts of different ideas, philosophies, and religions throughout history? Let's read a couple more verses as we build this biblical understanding on death. We're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 18, and we're going to read two verses there. Um, and keep in mind, as we do these Bible studies, we're not saying there's a single verse that gives us the complete picture. The Bible is a book of many stories that happened across a very large and long time frame. And what we're doing by looking at these verses, we're getting different insights that um, build a picture, different pieces of the puzzle that give us a good understanding of what God says through the Bible about death. So let's read Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, and then jump to verse 20. Um, why don't we get you to do that for us, Brad, when you get there, please? For all people alike are mine to judge, both parents and children. And this is my rule. The person who sins is the one who will die. So verse 20. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. There's a very simple principle that the Bible reiterates again and again. We're all responsible for our actions. In the mm -hmm. Old Testament, it talks about death as a punishment. In the New Testament, and we won't read that now, but if you go to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. death. So the consequence or the result or the natural outcome of rebellion against God is death. And it's it's not something it's not like something you can be responsible for someone else. You know, you can't help someone else dodge it by your good behaviour, as it were. Absolutely. And you can't likewise if your if your parents or your kids are doing wrong in the sight of God, he's not going to disqualify you because of others' behaviour in that too. Yeah, you can't pay someone's consequences yeah. for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. It's individual, it's a consequence, it's a result. The Bible says that God doesn't delight in anybody losing their lives. But selfishness leads to destruction, <laughs> destruction of relationships of those around us, and ultimately death is a result of people choosing to be selfish. And we know that. We look at the world around us. When people choose to live selfishly, it leads to pain mm. and leads to destruction. You think of the wars, the famines. I mean, and I'm not going to labor on that, but if we looked at all of the world's problems, mm. we can't blame them on nature, on God, or on anybody else really. Mm. If humans stop being selfish, would anybody go hungry? 
No, no would anybody definitely go, not. No, would anybody go without shelter? No. Would mm. we need weapons? I mean, we're spending more money on weapons than any other industry um, out there. Mm. So we know that it's really selfishness that leads to death, and this is exactly what the Bible tells us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Jesus makes a comment here, and we're moving on from this concept of, of death and trying to understand what it is. Death, according to what we've read so far, is something final. It's the end of living, obviously. But Matthew chapter 10, 28, here Jesus tells us a little bit more about death and what happens and something that often people misunderstand and mix up. Uh, Michael, why don't you read verse 28 there in chapter 10 of Matthew? Well, this is talking about fear. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got a couple of new interesting concepts. Hell, we're going to talk about that in a later study. So mm-hmm. don't sweat over hell, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, we're, coming, we're coming to that. But a couple of things. One, it says that, well, it talks about a soul, for starters, and then it says God can actually destroy it. Mm. Now, there are some people out there who say things like, when I die, my soul goes to heaven or my soul goes to hell. And there are some that say, my soul will live forever, or there are souls burning in hell forever. We'll talk about that some other time. Or that your soul gets reincarnated into another animal or into a tree or whatever it may be. Absolutely. That's another perspective. Jesus gives us very clear direction on this issue. What is he actually saying about the soul? No one can destroy a soul except for God. Okay, but if he, he can. If he can, yeah. Absolutely. Not so, if he can, but if he makes that decision. If he yeah. chooses to. Yep. Yeah. So is the soul immortal according to what Jesus is saying? Can the soul live forever on and on and on and on? Not unless God was to will it to. Okay. So the idea of a soul being immortal regardless of what you do or don't do um, is not biblical. Jesus says there is an end to all souls. We're going to ask the question, what is a soul in a moment? <laughs> But suffice it to say for now that there is an end. Uh, If you choose to disobey, to disregard, to reject God's law and to live a selfish life, there is an end. People are not going to be somewhere suffering or being tortured forever. That's very clear from what Jesus has to say. Now let's have a look at this concept of soul. We're going to go back right to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And maybe Brad, I can get you to read that right at the beginning of the Bible when God creates Adam and Eve, we get a bit of an insight into the use of this word soul. And today when people think about soul, they often think about this uh, separate entity to our bodies. It's something you can't touch, you can't see, you can't feel, but when you die, the soul floats away. Some believe the soul might live on earth as a ghost, and there are some cultures and religions that offer incense. They leave fruit out or other gifts for souls. There are others who say souls are in heaven, while others say souls might be in hell if they've misbehaved. But that's a misunderstanding of what a soul is. Let's look at the biblical answer. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Why don't you read that, please, for us? Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Okay, we've got a mathematical formula here. Take us through it. (laughs) Dust. Mm -hmm. Breath. Dust and breath. So there's God's breath. Yep. Yep. Plus dust. Yep. What do you get? A living being, is it what it says in my translation? It says a living being. Now, that's interesting. Some translations say a living being. What do others say? A living person. uh, A living person. Another one says a living soul. A living living soul. soul. And the word there, nefesh, is the word that we use for soul again and again in the Old Testament and in the New. There is no other word. This is it. And so what is a soul, according to the Bible, right from the very beginning? Dust plus God's breath, as in, yeah. Dust plus God's breath. And that's why... 
newer translators use the concept of person or a living being rather than saying a soul. According to the Bible, there is no such thing as this separate, distinct, floating soul. There's just a person. So we use that expression today when uh, I'm driving from the airport early in the morning and my wife says, how was traffic? And I'll say something like, there wasn't a... A single soul on the road. A single soul <laughs> on the road. Yeah. Now, am I saying I didn't crash into any ghosts? <laughs> you see? Maybe. Uh, well, <laughs> it, it, it depends where I'm driving, right? Um, so even in um, you know, contemporary culture, we use the term of soul for uh, a person. Yeah. Right? And the Bible backs that up. God's breath. What is God's breath? What's a way of explaining that? Well, the breath of life is another word, the term the Bible uses. Mm-hmm. So it's like the the power or the, the life-giving energy or force. Or mm-hmm. the, I've often been interested to see, you know, when an animal dies, um, they've been alive, this whole organism, you've got all the chemical reactions and everything happening dynamically, livingly, and then they die and it just all goes and it just... Mm-hmm no longer happening mm-hmm. and yet to reverse that what would it take yeah <laughs> um it's there's something there's this life thing we we know what it is but we can't quite put our finger on it as you know scientifically mm. yeah i think it's it's paul that says you know by god's word the universe is created mm. and by that same word he holds it in existence mm. we can't really comprehend exactly what it is mm. But one of the theories I've heard is where it says, you know, that God dwells in us, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. that it's some part of God himself living within us, keeping us alive. It's his power. It, it, yeah. This is something that belongs purely, uniquely and solely to him. It's got nothing to do with us. Mm. And so at death, the reverse happens. At death, our body returns to dust yep. and that breath of life which isn't ours it's not us mm. it's god's life-giving power and energy and that's the best way we can explain it using mm. human words simply goes back we're going to explore a bible passage that tells us just that right after this break Children come, don't hold back the little ones Simple faith is greater than the mightiest of men Let the children be, I want them to come to me You need to know the kingdom will be full of such as them There is kindness, goodness, blood-bought forgiveness Run now to Jesus Come like a child His righteous justice Shall not consume us The wonders of grace And His tender embrace Run to the sun For He calls you to come Like a child Like a child Let the children sing Hosanna to the King of Kings Riding on a humble colt into Jerusalem Let the children cry As they see Him crucified Tears will turn to laughter When their Saviour lives again There is kindness, goodness Blood-bought forgiveness Run out of Jesus And come like a child His righteous justice Shall not consume us the wonders of grace 
filth in disguise Blind the hardened-hearted in their unbelief and pride Children drop their nets Children do not hedge their bets Children hear his follow me and run to Jesus' side There is kindness, goodness, blood-bought forgiveness Run now to Jesus and come like a child His righteous justice shall not consume us The wonders of grace and the smile on his face Run to the sun for he calls you to come like a child Like a child Run to the sun like a child Welcome back to Why I Believe we're back in the studio with Michael and Brad and we're talking about death. What does happen when you die? We've just finished spending a little bit of time in Genesis where we looked at how a soul comes to be. A soul is really a living being or a person. You and I are souls. A soul isn't a separate thing. And a soul exists by God giving that life-giving energy or the power of life that he alone can give combined with dust, the minerals uh, of the earth that we are all composed of. And what we discussed just before the break was what happens when we reverse that process. So if we become a living being or soul through the breath of God and dust, what happens when we die? Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, according to the Bible, not only one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, but also one of the wisest men who lived. And Michael, I'm going to get you to read chapter 12 and verse 7 in Ecclesiastes there. Thank you. Yeah, it's been talking about death and it says, and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Okay, the spirit, the breath of life. Now, it doesn't say soul. Notice that. It doesn't talk about um, some separate soul. God gave the breath or the spirit or this life-giving force and energy and that goes back to him. And dust, yep. back to the ground. <laughs> yep. You know. Um, Are you familiar with the Hebrew there in the, with the word spirit? Do you know what that would be in the... In the, that particular verse? I believe it's the word ruah, which implies the spirit of God or something that comes from him directly. So there's two mm. different words. Yes. There's ruah, which is spirit also interpreted breath at times, and nefesh, um, which has a similar meaning as well. Um, but both refer to something that belongs to God rather than something with a unique identity that yep. belongs to us that keeps on living afterwards. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5, maybe Brad, I'll get you to read that, um, it gives us a bit of a clue about what dead people do or don't know yep. regarding the world after they've passed on. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5. 9 and verse 5 says, The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Okay. How much do the living know? Not a whole lot, but at least we know <laughs> what's <Something>. coming. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we know the past, and we know at least a little bit about the present. And the dead? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, it's in my translation at the end of it, it says even their name is forgotten. Even their name. So the memory of them is often forgotten. It doesn't take long. Yeah. And obviously they have no knowledge of what happens on earth afterwards. Mm, that's, and it goes on in verse 6 and 7 to reiterate that even mm -hmm. more. Sorry, or oh, verse 6 to mm -hmm. reiterate they, their love, their hate, their jealousy. They've long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Mm. 
so how do we get this concept of ghosts floating around or being in heaven or hell? It's obviously not biblical, is it? It's not true at all from what we're already using. We mm. can't find evidence for that in the Bible. Now, we're going to explore a little bit of how we got here right at the end of this conversation. But I wanted to go to one story that really accentuates and hits this point home. We're going to John chapter 11 and we're going to read verse 11 to verse 14. And Michael, if I can get you to read that. In John chapter 11, Jesus has a friend whose name is Lazarus who falls sick. Jesus is at some distance away. Lazarus's sisters send word for Jesus and say, please come quickly. Your friend is sick. Do something. And here we see how Jesus interacts with death and what he has to say about it. Let's read from verse 11 to verse 14. Thank you, Michael. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought they meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Okay. What does Jesus call death? Sleep. Asleep. How much time are you aware of while you're sleeping usually? Not a lot unless the girls wake (laughs) us up in the middle of the night. (laughs) You have to be awake to be conscious. You do. Now, we might have dreams. Mm. Yeah, I had one last night. There was an intruder in the house and I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm telling them to go away. About three seconds into my dream, I realize I'm standing up in the middle of the room talking to myself. (laughs) Okay. Looking for your cricket bat? Uh, I was, I was. That's right. Um, So when we're asleep, time passes. and We're not conscious. We're not active. It's mm. like as if we're not there. And Jesus calls death asleep, mm. not some sort of floating, wandering around experience in heaven or in hell. Um, now, interestingly enough, Jesus delays three days before he makes progress to go to Lazarus. And he gets to Lazarus. After Lazarus had died, you mean? After Lazarus had died, he yeah. gets there on the fourth day. Do you know what's interesting about the fact that he left it for four days before he went to perform this miracle where Lazarus comes back from the dead? You mean apart from the fact that he's decayed and stinking by then? or Well, for starters, yeah. right, you know he's dead. He's been there for four days. If yeah. the man was awake and hungry, you'd expect him to come out. He's so tightly wound up that he's probably suffocating or close to it. Yeah. And the Jews at the time believed that it took up to three days for a person to really die. Uh-huh. And by the fourth day, they were really dead and there was no possibility of ever coming back. That's interesting. And Hmm. so Jesus specifically and deliberately delays going to Lazarus Mm -hmm. to show that this is a true miracle. Otherwise... It wasn't really dead. The Jewish leaders could have said that. Only two days, only two days. That's exactly right. And I understand the rationale for that because we've all heard of experiences where someone is in the morgue or in the casket and they wake up, you know, Mm. a day or two later. And I think that may have happened in the Jewish economy. And at one point in time, they say, you know what? Four days. At the fourth day, the person is really dead. Let's work with that. So Jesus gives them that four days just to make sure. One, he says sleep is, uh, death is asleep. And two, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And you can read the rest of the story there. Now, what do you think? Imagine if Lazarus, and we imagine he was a good man, otherwise Jesus wouldn't raise him from the dead. Imagine if Lazarus was in heaven for four days. <laughs> probably probably wouldn't have appreciated coming back, I don't think. I can imagine him holding on to something. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> don't do it! Uh. Don't do it, please! <laughs> I'm, I'm quite, quite content uh, up here. But on the other hand... 
On the other hand, I mean, if if he'd been in hell, yes. you know, I, it couldn't have been sooner. Yes. You know, <laughs> Give me another chance at this thing. <laughs> so the whole thing of being in heaven or hell or floating around as a ghost and having a, a better state of being doesn't quite make sense. Now you imagine, and we don't know if Lazarus had children, we know he had sisters. Can you imagine he is in heaven, if that were the case, and he's looking down at his sisters who were in significant deep distress, they're in anguish, they're mm. weeping, what kind of party would you have in heaven looking at your family? Could be your sisters, as in his case, your children, your siblings, your parents um, that are suffering with your loss. Would that really make it an enjoyable place to be? It'd be very hard to enjoy it in heaven if you're, yeah, unless you just somehow could blot it out of your mind. But it wouldn't be enjoyable, if, even if thinking about them down there, would it? Now, even if you weren't able to see what happened on earth, yeah. what would you be worried about? Think of a parent who leaves a child, or think of both parents that die in an accident. They leave yeah. their children with no one to care for them, and they're in foster homes. They could get into high-risk lifestyles and even abusive behavior. Even worrying about what your spouse, whether they're going to marry some crook and, you know, you... Yep. And you don't know. No. Because either God has blocked you, and if he doesn't block you from seeing that, you're seeing it. Yep. Mm. And it's distressing. In love with someone else, and that's you'd be right. heartbroken. That's right. And yet you're supposed to be in heaven. Mm. The very idea of moving on from this life to the next uh, creates so many difficulties that it would make God almost to be a monster to do that to us. Mm. And the Bible says God does something much better. He actually says at death, that <laughs> life... Slim. That life-giving energy returns to him, the body goes to dust, and our consciousness is in a state of, of sleep. Mm. It's like as if we don't, I mean, we, we've existed, our body is there, but we're not, real, we're not awake, we're not aware, there's nothing to it. It's like as if we're not alive. It's like an appliance that's run out of electricity. It's a very peaceful, restful, pardon the pun, but a, a restful, <laughs> peaceful sort of a concept that God gives us, isn't it? It is, yeah. and humanity's come up with a really good way of um, encapsulating that pun, R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace, yeah. Literally, yep. you know, and we have that on tombstones, because that's exactly what death is according to the Bible. And, and yet most people really don't think that you are resting in peace, they're like you're quite involved in either heaven or hell or reincarnation or whatever it might be. Absolutely, and any of those other options would be cruel to say the least. Mm. Can you imagine if you haven't lived a great life, not a bad one, but you could have done a bit more good, you reincarnate into a horse uh, or into a fly that gets swatted. I mean, just the very concept of reincarnation creates all sorts of difficulties. And we've already discussed being in heaven or hell. That just doesn't seem to work. Or being a ghost, traveling, floating through the air around where your loved ones live, that in and of itself would be a distressing scenario, especially when your loved ones are going through pain. In Acts chapter 2, verse 34, and we won't have time to read that, but it talks about David, and it actually says David never ascended into heaven. Hmm. It talks about David still being in the grave. His grave is with us today. Now, hmm. David did some dumb things in his life, <laughs> but he was definitely one of the saints of the Bible, especially towards the end. He would be seen hmm. as a hero of faith. Hmm. David is still in the grave. He's not floating around. He is simply asleep. Hmm. What happens to wake us up out of this sleep? Let's go to 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 51 to 54. Our second last verse, and we're going to finish with these two verses that talk about the end of death or the end of this sleep. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 to 54. And Brad, if I can get you to read those verses for us, please. Yep. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. 
and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die, our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So if we're alive when Jesus comes back, what happens to these bodies? They're changed. They're changed. They're recreated. Mm. God begins that process that he did in Eden of giving us new bodies and new lives. But it's interesting. What does it say about those who are dead? They're raised. They're resurrected. They're brought to life. It says they're brought to life. Now, if they're already alive somewhere, you'd mention something (laughs) like, well, they're given new bodies or the spirits reunite with their bodies. Mm. And then it says, one, they're resurrected. And two, that's when they begin to live forever. Mm. They're not living forever. They're not in some place just waiting for their bodies to catch up with them. They're truly asleep in the grave. And we can look forward to that day. I want to finish with one last verse where Paul talks about what he's looking forward to. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. Of all people in the Bible, you'd expect Paul to know most about this. You'd expect him <laughs> to be in heaven if that was the case of what happened when we do die. But Paul says something about the reward that he's looking forward to. Why don't you read that for us, Michael? Sure. Look, the verse before is saying, look, he knows his departure time is near. He's, he's nearly done on this world. He and knows he's about verse, to die. He knows he's about to die. Mm. And in verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He knows he's dying. He's not expecting to be alive when Jesus comes back now. In his younger days, mm. he did. Yeah. And he doesn't say, I can't wait to die because the very next thing is I'm going to you know, be in heaven. But he mm. actually says, on that day. Yeah. Now, a couple of interesting things. When we do die, to the second coming, when Jesus comes to take us back with him and to raise the dead to life, if I was to die... How long would that feel like between when I die and the second coming? It's the same as sleeping. It's the same as sleeping. You wouldn't mm. have a clue how Absolutely. much time had passed. I had a friend who was drunk and who slept for two days, turned up to an appointment a day late and didn't realize that he had slept through an entire day. Mm. You just don't know how much time passes. Yeah. I had a mate who did that and he missed Christmas. <laughs> he rocked up the next day <laughs> ready to give away presents and everything and everyone... It's already gone. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. So in a way, when we do die, it is like we go to heaven straight away because that's the very next thing we know. Mm. But that resurrection is at that day when Jesus comes back and not before. Mm. The good news is, and the good news about God is that he doesn't torture us. He doesn't take us to heaven or to hell. He doesn't put us in some limbo place. When we die, we are truly resting. We're resting from the joys of earth, from the suffering and the trials of earth. And at the second coming, like it says in Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead and the living will all be raised together to meet Jesus in the air and will spend eternity with him. And that's good news. Mm. We don't Mm. have to stress. We don't have to worry. We know exactly what happens at death. Mm. It is an unconscious sleep. We truly rest and we look forward to the second coming when Jesus will raise us to life. Now that begs another question. What about ghosts? (laughs) <laughs> what about people who say they've talked to loved ones? What about hell? Like, so everyone talks about hell and the Bible talks about hell. Well, now that's three questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. It raises a lot of questions. And we're going to explore things like hell. We're going to explore things like the spirit world in other studies, which we look forward to having you join us on. Thank you again for being with us. And we look forward to next time. 
If you've enjoyed Why I Believe, visit us at faithfm.com.au and contact us with any questions, thoughts, comments, opinions you may have. We'd love to be able to share those on air. Thank you for staying with us and we'll see you next time.